You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium from Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the dark story of the village Eme. So it's over to you, Mark. is an English village and civil parish in the Derbyshire Dales that lies within the Peak District National Park. Eames' main claim to fame is the story of how the village chose to go into isolation so it could try to stop an infection that was spreading everywhere after the bubonic plague was discovered there in 1665. The bubonic plague ran rampantly throughout the village over a 14-month period, with one account stating that it had killed at least 260 villagers, with only 83 surviving people out of the original population of 350. That number has been challenged many times over the years, with alternative figures of 430 survivors, from a total population of around 800 people. However, the church in Ian does have a written record of 273 individuals who were actual victims of this plague. The local village economy now relies on the tourist trade, with Ian being promoted as the Plague Village. The story of the Plague Village has been kept alive by a growing number of literary works since the early 19th century, although its truth has actually been questioned. Greetings, unexplainers. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening to another groundbreaking and shaking episode of Mark's Unexplained World. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a collector of strange tales, and a real live person, not an AI, or indeed a chatbot. In this episode, I'm going to tell you the tale surrounding the very dark story of the village Eam. And this week's necessary disclaimer, this story is a tale that sadly involves various people dying from a nasty illness, so may prove upsetting to some. As always, you listen at your own discretion, remembering, of course, that all opinions and comments are strictly my own. However, the facts of the story still remain. I also apologise, again, if I pronounce anything incorrectly, although this week I should be okay, as I found a case with English names and language. But we shall see. Anyway, let's get back to the story. I think before we go into the details of the plague village, we should first look at the village of Eam itself. Although I must point out here, I myself have never actually visited the place. 
However, looking at some of the pictures, I do hope to visit it at some time in the future. Eam is a small Anglo-Saxon village nestled in the hills of Derbyshire, with the most notable site being the West Withen Stone Circle on Eam Moor. And although much of the stone circle has now been destroyed, some of the stones still remain. The name Eam itself derives from an old English and is first recorded in the Doomsday Book as Aeum, spelt A-I-U-M. In the local parish church, known as St Lawrence's Church, there is a Mexican-style Anglo-Saxon cross, dating back from the 8th century, which moved there from its original location beside a moorland cart track. According to an 1841 census for the village of Eam, there were 954 inhabitants living in the parish, and most were mainly employed in agriculture and cotton and silk weaving. There is also evidence that lead mining seems to have been a continuous trade throughout its history in the Eam district. This is since at least the Roman era, where there is evidence of habitation from an even earlier time. By the 1881's census, most of the men either worked as lead miners or otherwise in the manufacture of boots and shoes, a trade that only ended in the 1960s. The village then transitioned from an industrial village to a tourist-based village economy, which is underlined by the villager Roger Ridgway in a statement he made during an interview for the Eam Museum. He said that, at the beginning of the 20th century, and I quote, A hundred horses and carts would have been seen taking flower spa to Grindleford and Hassock stations, until recently, up to a dozen coach lords of visiting children arrived each day in the village. The village Eam has its own parish council, with a wide range of powers at an arm's reach within the community level. At a district level, Eam still has a representation on the Derbyshire Dales District Council, and this, in turn, is represented on the Derbyshire County Council Local Authority. At parliamentary level, the village lies within the consti constituency sorry, of the Derbyshire Dales. As of the 2011 census, the population of the village Eam has surprisingly remained largely unchanged at 969 people. plague is one of three types of plague caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis, which is a deadly bacterium that causes a zoonotic disease that can affect both humans and other mammals. Flu-like symptoms will develop in usually one to seven days, 
after an ex any exposure to this bacterium, the Yersinia pestis. Other symptoms will include fever, headaches and vomiting, as well as swollen and painful lymph, no lymph nodes occurring in the area closest to where the bacteria entered the skin. Acral necrosis, or the dark discoloration of skin, is another symptom. And on our first interesting side note of this show, acral necrosis is a symptom common in bubonic plague. The striking black discoloration of skin and tissue, primarily on the extremities, is commonly thought to have given rise to the name Black Death. In history, the term in fact came from the figural sense of anything that is black, is ghastly or dreadful. The three types of plague recorded over the years are the result of the route the infection takes. First up is the bubonic plague. Bubonic plague is mainly spread by infected fleas from small animals. It may also result from exposure to the body fluids from a dead plague-infected animal, such as rabbits, hares and some species of cats. Unfortunately, these animal animals typically die upon contraction of the disease. In its bubonic form, the plague bacteria enter through the skin, usually through a flea bite, and travel via the blood flow to a lymph node in the body, causing it to swell. Diagnosis is made by finding the bacteria in the blood, sputum or fluid from the lymph nodes. Next up is the septicemic plague. Septicemic plague is again caused by Yersinia pestis or fleas. Septicemic plague is a systemic disease involving infection of the blood and is also most commonly spread by bites from infected fleas. This type of plague can cause disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC for short, and is always fatal when left untreated. Disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC, is a condition in which blood clots form throughout the body, blocking small blood vessels. And the third and final one in this happy-go-lucky list is the pneumonic plague. The pneumonic plague is a severe lung infection caused again by the bacterium Yersinia pestis, or, you guessed it, fleas. Symptoms include, amongst other things, fever, headache, shortness of breath, with chest pains and coughing. These symptoms typically start about three to seven days after any exposure. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at how the small but tranquil village Eam got its nickname, the Plague Village.
This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www.hauntedresearchcentre.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinkley, LE101AW. Open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only three ninety nine to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. The village inn became known as the Plague Village due to an outbreak of the bubonic plague. It all started in 1665 after the plague had struck mainland Britain, although some historians do believe it had laid dormant from as early as late 1664 and then laid in waiting until the winter months were over. But once they were over, the plague then spread just like melted butter on hot toast. The first noted places it spread to were the poverty-stricken areas in the London suburbs known as St Giles. And from there, it then made its way through various other destitute impoverished areas, including Clerkenwell, Cripplegate, Shoreditch, and then on to Westminster. The infected houses were then sealed and the doors were marked with a red or white cross and the words, Lord have mercy on us, were painted on them with underneath the cross. The author, Samuel Pepys, who noted how the streets were very, very quiet by day, but at night the streets became very active. This was when the corpses were collected and carried away in carts for disposal, and then thrown into huge holes dug around the city called Plague Pits. At the time, people leave. Sorry, I'll try that one again. <clears throat> At the time, people believed that the plague was airborne, mainly because one of the first signs of the infection was that the victims could smell a sweet, sickly fragrance. However, this sweet, sickly fragrance was not the plague. It was, in fact, the scent of the victims' internal organs, which were rotting and decaying from the inside. Lovely. So, 
On an interesting little side note here, because of this telltale sweet sickly fragrance, people started to carry poses of flowers which they held near their noses in a desperate attempt to keep the plague at bay. This custom then became incorporated into the children's song about the Great Plague. This song was called Ring-a-Ring-a-Roses. Roses. Records indicate that in London, between the years of 1665 and 1666, out of a total of population of 460,000, as few as 68,596, or as many as 100,000 people, died in London due to this plague. was a prosperous little village lying just six miles north of the town of Bakewell in Derbyshire. It was a very picturesque place, the sort of image you might find printed on top of a cosy 1970s biscuit tin. Its population was reasonably small with just 344 people living there at first and the populace made their living through farming and lead mining which formed the settlement's main source of income. There was nothing remarkable about the village inn, and it didn't especially stand out from any of the other villages in the area. That is, until the August of 1665. It all started when the local tailor, Alexander Hadfield, foolishly sent his assistant, George Vickers, to London to collect some cloth samples. Unfortunately, when George Vickers returned to the village inn, he brought back more than just the samples of cloth. The box that George Vickers brought back from London containing the cloth also harboured plague-bearing fleas, or in other words, Yersinia pestis. It is claimed that within a week of bringing the material back from London, Alexander Hadford's assistant, George Vickers, noticing the bundle was damp, decided to open it up, give it a good old shake and flatten it out to air. And so, the first victim of the plague village was claimed, when on the 3rd of September 1665, George Vickers was pronounced dead. His condition was then rapidly followed by the rest of his household. In the first three weeks of the bubonic plague's residency in Eam, he took the lives, or it took the lives, of six of its residents, and by the end of the year, 42 villagers were dead in about three and a half months. Then, just as suddenly, the plague seemed to peter out, and the people of Eam started to question whether they had been struck down with the plague at all. However, once the winter of 65 had passed, in early 1666, the disease revived itself. As the plague spread throughout the village, the residents turned for leadership to their rector, the Reverend William Mompesson, 
and the Puritan minister, Thomas Stanley. The rector decided to introduce a number of precautions that the villagers should take in a bid to slow down the spread of the illness. So, from May 1666, the measures included that families were to bury their own dead and the relocation of church services to the natural amphitheatre of the Cucklet Delph, allowing villagers to separate themselves and so reducing the risk of infection. And on an um, interesting side note here, the Cucklet Delph is a natural valley that runs south from the idyllic peak district of the village of Ean. A short way down is a limestone called a craglet that forms a cavern with two large arches. From 1665, the larger of the two archways became the pulpit for the 27-year-old village rector, William Monpesson. From here, he could preach into the valley and be heard by his congregation while they gathered in desperate family groups on the opposite hillside. Throughout the outbreak of the village plague, this craglet, and in fact the whole section of the, the Cucklet Delph, became known as the Cucklet Church. In May 1666, two more people died from the plague, and by the time June had begun, the village Eam was in the jaws of a full-scale epidemic. As the plague spread throughout the small community and took hold, and the death toll started to rise, all those who could depart the village did so. William Monpesson, who, if you remember I mentioned earlier, was the local rector, sent his children away to stay, to stay in Sheffield. However, his wife, Elizabeth Monpesson, decided to stay with him in the village. But unfortunately, this decision cost her her life, as she too was a victim of the disease. Of course, it wasn't just the gentry that abandoned the village inn, with one family of tradesmen known locally as the Sheldons who left the village. Most villagers, however, were not willing to risk losing their livelihoods, and so took to, the, took to the brave chance of staying put. As the suffering in the village grew and the death toll rose higher, a few villagers began to consider what would happen if this plague moved on from Eam and to the other local villages. So, to prevent the spread of the plague to other towns and villages nearby, the village Eam decided to take the unprecedented step and put itself under quarantine. The two men who were responsible for helping the villagers make this momentous decision were the aforementioned rector, William Monpesson, and the former Eam rector, St uh, Thomas Stanley. Sorry. Just a brief note on the former rector, Thomas Stanley. He had originally been replaced in, in 1660 by William Monpesson, mainly because of his Puritan views. However, Stanley continued to live in the village Eam. And whilst both rectors, Stanley and Monpesson's, interpretation of their Christian faith was different, they were united in their purpose to stop the plague. Gentlemen, 
I doffed my hat to you both. Both William Monpesson and Thomas Stanley ordered the villagers to build a stone perimeter wall half a mile away from the Eam village centre. They also made it noticeably clear that no one from within Eam was allowed to cross the boundary until the settlement was free of plague. That even included villagers without any symptoms. To ensure that the Eam villagers did not starve, arrangements were made with merchants from other local villages and towns, including the Earl of Devonshire at nearby Chatsworth House, to leave goods and medicine along the southern boundary of Eam. In return, the Eam villagers paid for their goods with coins that had been disinfected in vinegar, which they then deposited in the hollows of the stone perimeter wall surrounding the village. Both men, William Monpesson and Thomas Stanley, were highly successful in convincing the Eam villagers to observe the quarantine rules. During the quarantine period at the Eam village, only two people tried to leave. One was a woman who broke quarantine so she could attend the market in the town of Tideswell, which was just five miles away. However, once she arrived at Tideswell, the people there recognised her as a resident of Eam and consequently drove her away by pelting missiles of food, mud and other small objects, along with the cries of, and I quote, The, the plague! The, the plague! plague! After this second short break, in part three, we will look at further details regarding the village of Eam during its dark time and some of the village's legacies. Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation-only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07852998628 or email them at office at frightnights.co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters joined Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? 
why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future. They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights, Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do. Throughout the summer of 1666, the conditions in the village inn began to decline, with the number of deaths by August of that year being a daily event. And as the more villagers sorry, ugh, try that one again. And as the more villagers died, the bigger the neglect grew, with fields being left unattended and repairs being ignored. The villagers also had to bury their own dead. Elizabeth Hancock, who was one of the deceased farmer's wives, had the unfortunate task of having to bury her husband and all six of her children in the space of eight days. She was forced to wrap them in shrouds and drag them through the streets by their feet, burying them in the fields surrounding the village in the area known today as the Riley Graves. And when the stonemasons sadly died, the villagers then even had to carve their own family gravestones. The plague ran its course through the village of Eam over a 14-month period, with one account stating that it had killed at least 260 villagers, with only 83 surviving out of the population of 350. That figure has been challenged with alternative figures of 430 survivors from a population of around 800 people. And the church in Eam, known as St Lawrence Church, has a formal record of 273 individuals who were actually victims of the disease. The final death in Eam, due to the plague, was on the 1st of November 1666. So by this time, out of the supposed 344 villagers, 260 people had died. The houses of those families wiped out by the disease still stand today, as of 2024, remembered only as the plague cottages. Each cottage is marked with a green plaque that lists the members of each family lost to the plague. There were of course some villagers who had survived the plague, with some of the survivors having had very close contact with some of the victims that died. For example, the aforementioned Elizabeth Hancock, who was one of the deceased farmer's wives, was totally uninfected by or with the disease, despite burying six children and her husband in just over a week, as I said earlier. And the unofficial, uh, sorry, yeah, and the unofficial village grave digger, a chap named Marshall Howe, also survived despite handling many of the infected bodies. Survival among those affected appeared to be random as many who remained alive throughout Ian's dark period had very close contact with those who had died and those that remained 
never having actually caught the disease. And as for those that did survive, except for the Reverend Monpesson, who resigned his living career in 1669 and left Ian never to return, they all took up their lives again. Although at the time the Reverend believed it was prayer that kept him alive, and the villagers thought it was the smoking of tobacco, it found out much, much later, with the advances of medical science, that their immunity was due to each of them having a plague-resistant chromosome. But, however you look at it, the people of the village had achieved their objectives, and because of Ian's sacrifice, the Great Plague spread no further in Derbyshire. There are, of course, those who have questioned the details of the story of the village Inn's response to the plague. An anonymous reviewer of the poem The Tale of Eve in the British Medical Journal from the 30th of November 1889 comments on its poetic phraseology. They say, and I quote, The author speaks of the pestilence and its hell-born brood, and again, of firebolts from heaven's reeking nostrils. Such phraseologies, says the unknown author, they continue to, and I quote, actually exemplify the mental attitude of men who lived in the infancy of modern science. When in the plague they saw the angry stroke of offended deity and recognised the scourge of God, in what we now now to be only the scourge of filth. Shortly afterwards, the author, Charles Creighton, writing in his book, A History of Epidemics in Britain, while affirming the accounts of what had happened in the Eam village, questioned the wisdom of the actions taken at the revival of the epidemic in, 19, in, sorry, in 1666 as mistaken, though well-meaning. And instead, he says, and I quote, the villagers of Eden were sacrificed to an idea, and to an idea which we may now say was not scientifically sound. Suggesting that they should have instead fled elsewhere, as long as they didn't gather together or take tainted articles with them. I'm not sure how this would have worked personally, as how could they have known which of their items were tainted? According to a working paper by Patrick Wallace on the nature of evidence, how well do facts travel, called A Dreadful Heritage Interpreting Epidemics, The Disease at Eam, 1666-2000. A 2005 study of Eam's story, as history claims it, is no more than a literary construct fabricated long after the actual events. Patrick Wallace also states that contemporary reporting was rare and often the results of political or religious bias. From the dawn of the 19th century, the romanticised and sentimental accounts of the village, sorry, of the events at Eam were, and I quote, 
largely produced by poets, writers and local historians, not doctors. The author, Patrick Wallace, also states that the 1886 bicentenary commemoration repeated annually from nearby or for nearly a century and a half is claimed to be the beginning of, and I quote, an overtly invented tradition, which he says has spawned a heritage industry to profit the village in the face of its declining prosperity and population and provided instead and I quote, a plague tourism infrastructure. However, by contrast, the 2000 study led by Dr. Steve O'Brien suggested that a human gene mutation called CCR5 Delta 32, which is known to give immunity from HIV, may have helped the survivors at Eve. He says, and I quote, The timing is right, the numbers are right, and that the villagers' descendant descendants, sorry, had a higher than average percentage of the mutated gene. In addition, the 2016 study by Dr. Didlot and Whittles acknowledged that Eam was, and I quote, important because it gave us fantastic data for about the, uh, and about the plague. They found that human-to-human transmission was indeed far greater than previously thought and that the villagers' isolation did, inte- did indeed help to stop the spread of the bubonic plague in the Derbyshire area. Plague Sunday has been celebrated in the village of Eames since the plague's bicentenary in 1866. Originally, it was held in mid-August, but now it takes place in Cucklet Delf, where the villagers held their service during the epidemic on the last Sunday in August. One last little tidbit that you might find interesting. The Eam, or the Eam Hypothesis. The Eam Hypothesis is a medical theory named after the village's contribution to containing the spread of the plague through self-isolation. I wonder if in some way the Eam hypothesis was used as a model for the recent global outbreak of COVID-19. One of the main ways of controlling it was through self-isolation. My thoughts, however, do go out to anyone out there who lost a loved one. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. In our next episode, show 81, we are going to be looking at the Great London Beer Flood of 1814. The London Beer Flood was caused by an accident at New Co's Horseshoe Brewery in London on the 17th of October in 1814. It took place when one of the 22 foot tall wooden vats of fermenting porter burst. The escaping liquid dislodged the valve of another vessel and destroyed several very large barrels, 
with a total of between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons of the beer being released. The resulting wave of water destroyed the back wall of the brewery and swept into an area of slum dwellings known as the St Giles Rookery. Eight people were killed, five of them being mourners at the wake being held by an Irish family for their two-year-old boy. This show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pooler. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley. And of course a big thank you to everyone for listening. Mark's Unexplained World, because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real, because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Medium.